What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Falcoholic Podcast listeners, welcome to another episode of the Falcoholic Live. This is your host, Kevin Knight, reminding you to check out the show live on YouTube on Wednesday nights at 8.10 p.m. Eastern. We also encourage you to check out our Patreon page where you can unlock exclusive perks, including access to a patron Q&A session where we take Falcons questions for about 30 minutes to an hour. That's a lot of fun. You can find that page at patreon.com slash falcoholiclive. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Fellow Falcoholics, welcome to episode 140 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by a very special guest this evening. He is Brett Jukes, the executive vice president of the Blank Family of Businesses and a longtime viewer of the show. Uh, Brett, how are you doing this evening? All good. Really good to be with you guys. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited to have you. Going to have a great great talk tonight about the team, and I know the fans are excited to hear from you as well. Also with us tonight, we have Eric Robinson, at underscore Eric underscore Robinson. Eric, how are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good, man. It always feels good to be on here to, to talk a little Falcons football. Absolutely, for sure. Always a good time, especially this time of year with the draft going on. Especially this time of year. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and finally, we have Evan Birchfield at the very easy to remember Evan Birchfield on Twitter. Evan, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing great. Glad Brett's joining us. Uh, just, you know, I, I was telling you before the show, it feels like it's cr- the lead up to Christmas. It's pretty much like December 2nd. You know, there's only a couple more weeks. So let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it for sure. And if you guys have questions for Brett, feel free to throw those in the chat. We'll try to get to uh, some if we can throughout the show. I know the guests have some questions. And then as soon as Adnan gets off of class, he will be joining us as well, uh, probably for the second half of the show. So you guys got the uh, noted Matt Ryan hater to look forward to. <laughs> but uh, Brett, I know uh, we had some some interesting questions for you. But first of all, would you mind explaining what your role is uh, with the team for people that might not uh, be familiar? It's a good question. And uh, some days I wish I knew what it was. <laughs> I, uh, I have the, I have the best job in the world. I, uh, I oversee marketing, communications, digital, social, community relations, design uh, for all of uh, Mr. Blank's businesses, which includes 
of course, the Falcons, but also Atlanta United, the stadium, uh, PGA, PGA Tour Superstore Golf Business, which is about to have its 50th store. Uh, our ranches, we have three ranches out in Montana, different purposes. One's a guest ranch, one's a philanthropic uh, uh, retreat, basically. And the other is really kind of just a land management um, uh, property. And then, of course, Arthur's Foundation, which is uh, as big and important to him as anything in the world. So I also, I work closely with Arthur. I, I joke all the time that I spend more time with Arthur than I do with my wife. Uh, <laughs> um, but I handle all of his personal stuff, his media, his speaking, uh, some of his brand work. And then we're working on a lot of legacy projects for for how his name will continue on long after he's not here, which hopefully is decades and decades away. So it's kind of what I do. I work with all the leaders of the teams. I work close with Rich McKay, mm -hmm. uh, Falcons, and Darren Eels on Atlanta United. And, uh, Steve Cannon, of course, is our CEO. I work with them on everything from crisis communications to strategic planning to, to brand building, all those things. And uh, I have a team of I have a team of about sixty three people. And I always uh, tell people is my job is to try to keep up with Arthur Blank <laughs> out of my team's way. And uh, so far it works out because they're a bunch of rock. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I think I think I've described you as Arthur Blank's right hand man. Uh, so would that, would that be an apt description? Uh, he's got a lot of right hands. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? He also still works about 18 hours a day. So Man. He's, uh, we're, we just try to keep up with him. He's, he's an amazing, amazing person. Yeah. Just listing it off. Like around him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just listing off all the stuff that he's involved with, um, kind of is surprised. Like we think we know Arthur Blank from his time with the Falcons, but there's so much more going on. It's really incredible. Uh, what is the name of the Montana guest ranch? Cause I feel like I might know what it is, but the, I'm curious. The guest, the guest ranch is mountain sky guest ranch. And it is, it's spectacular. It's in the paradise Valley. Hmm. Which, I don't know if any of you or your viewers watch Yellowstone, it's my favorite show on television, but Yellowstone is, set in the Paradise Valley of Montana, which is kind of the valley between Gardner and Livingston, Montana, mm -hmm. about 15 minutes from the north gate of Yellowstone Park. Yeah. And the guest ranch, he used to vacation there. And uh, then when he left Home Depot and, and he was uh, needing something to do, ironically, the ranch was the first thing he bought. It was He bought it before the Falcons. So it's his oldest business besides Home Depot. And then about... It's a funny story that has a football tie to it. Is uh, we acquired the mountain or uh, the West Creek Ranch in January of 2017, and you guys know there was a lot going on in January 2017. And yeah, I'll never forget this. When I write my own book, this will be a story. Is we were we admit the acquisition was done, and he he basically made us announce the acquisition the day after the NFC Championship game. <laughs> we're, we're, we're buried here. We've got a million things, but Arthur's like, no, we've got to get it going. We've got to get it going. That's it's really illustrative of how he thinks. Is he's he's just doesn't stop. And he had grand visions for West Creek, and i got to tell you, he gives it away to people uh, that are working on big problems to go out there and do think tanks and try to solve problems, big ones. There's been people out there working on uh, – 
PTSD services for soldiers to rural health care to social justice issues uh, to environmental uh, uh, groups and other things and they don't have to pay for it they just go and it's an amazing place for them to do their work and some really cool things are about to start coming out of it from the three years that it's been operating so those are the ranches mountain sky guest ranch is where you can go with your family west creek ranch is the philanthropic one very cool very cool all right well i do want to open the floor to you guys as well if you guys have any questions for mr jukes i have a i got a question for you guys i can't believe yeah. we're Four minutes in, and I haven't been asked about the red helmets yet. <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, I, I think I was Evan was waiting. Yeah, was he was waiting it. in the wings. Yeah, <laughs> he was ready to go. We, we can save that. Do you for have any? <laughs> yeah, do you have anything you can share on it? A anything? I, I, I like many crave it. So, <laughs> like many is right. Um, it's it's probably the question I, we get more often than any other question. Um. And uh, I think most people know that there's an NFL rule on a uh, single helmet right now. There has been talk in the last couple of years that that is going to be amended. Um, and I will, without breaking any news tonight, I can tell you that the day that happens, the red helmet is pretty darn popular, not just outside our building. Um, so, you know, we actually, when we, when we did the uniforms, we looked at a couple um, – schematics just just to see what it was like or what it would look like with the new uniforms and there's some pretty cool ones um so there's some stuff locked in a safe somewhere that <laughs> ever get a green light uh i can tell you that uh, there is a lot of people that have an interest in the red helmet and right. I'm <laughs> yes i think that's what people would want to hear so yeah that's all that's right i'll talk to you guys later i'm done that's all <laughs> yeah I'm evan's got what he wanted <laughs> The one thing I will say is probably the thing we hit the best on with the last uniform is the matte helmet. Um, yeah. Love the new helmet, and uh, I do too. It's, i got a couple right here I'm looking at. I love it. So, you know, if you could get that one in a, an alternate red, that wouldn't be a terrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know, I'm interested in how that would, the red helmet would look with the gradients too. Cause I was, I don't know if I'm one of the few or one of the, I think people warmed up to the gradients when they saw them on the field, but I liked them. So I think that would potentially be a pretty cool look as well. So. Yeah. there's some. Mm -hmm. I, I, oh, I didn't mean to tell you. I just had uh, the, the other thing I love that came back is the black end zones. I don't know if you have any part in that, but thank you. Like, it's just, it looks amazing on the field. <laughs> and that's well, all I gotta say. Interesting story on that. So obviously your uniform is the biggest manifestation of your brand that you have. And, you know, we were thinking way ahead on those things that, you know, we looked at so much data. We did so many focus groups, old fans, new fans, young fans, fans that live in state, fans that live out of state, all sorts of data. And black was just dominant. People wanted black uniforms. And you started thinking beyond that to the end zones, to how your website looks, how to everything. I'll tell you this. The operations team at the stadium does not love the black end zones. They love <laughs> how they look, but they are pretty hard to change over and clean up. Uh, particularly when we have to do all of those quick turns. Um, like if you have a soccer game the next day or a yeah. Or a, or a convention's coming in there. It takes a little longer to, to get that black off, but guess what? It's 
it's not going away. I promise you that. <laughs> everybody loved it. Yeah, it looks great. Um, I have a question for you. So you pretty much serve a similar role uh, with NASCAR prior to coming over uh, to the Falcons. So what prompted that transition from NASCAR to working alongside Arthur Blank? Well, that's a little bit of a crazy story, but I, I worked in NASCAR for about 17 years on the, on the agency side for 11 and then almost six uh, in house as the chief communications officer. And I love NASCAR. I love the people in NASCAR. Some of my best friends in life are in NASCAR. And, and I, I really honestly planned to be there for, for the rest of my career uh, when I went there. And crazy as it sounds, I, we had a tradition. We took our kids to Dollywood every year right before school started. And yeah. uh, I went back from the pool one day and there was an email from a recruiter saying, Arthur Blank wants to talk to me. I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. Um, and I Googled him. I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I'll, no, nah, I'm not interested. And I told him no. <laughs> and the recruiter was pretty persistent. He said, no, no, you need to do this. He wants to talk to you. And long story short, I did. And uh, actually interviewed with him the first time. I had left Darlington, the race in Darlington, drove over here. And then I rode back, up and back to Flowery Branch with him in his, in his sprinter van. And we talked. But Interesting, the connection that kind of ultimately greased the whole skids was Joe Gibbs. Um, yeah. uh, Joe and his family are very, very close to me, and uh, I have a really good relationship with Joe Gibbs Racing. And obviously, Arthur and Dick Sullivan, who's now the CEO of PG Tour Superstore, had done the Home Depot racing deal uh, with Stewart and Joe Gibbs Racing. So they have a long relationship. and. Come to find out that, that Arthur and Joe had talked about um, me and uh, and Arthur uh, basically asked permission, even though I didn't work for Joe, uh, yeah. to have a conversation. And it just ended up being the right fit for me. Um, I love football. Um, I was so excited about the opportunity to open a stadium and launch a soccer team and grow a retail business. And, and Montana is really cool for me because I'm from West. So really just everything came together. And then the clincher was just spending time with Arthur. And I remember driving back to Charlotte that night. And I was like, I would be an idiot to not do this if I get the chance. And I got the chance the next day and here we are. So how many times have you actually been to the NASCAR Hall of Fame here in Charlotte? Well, I actually oversaw the NASCAR Hall of Fame for okay. three Yeah. So, uh, Winston Kelly, who's the the executive director there, is a dear, dear friend of mine, and um, one of the one of the actually things I'm most proud of about NASCAR is um, I, I oversaw the voting process and everything uh, for the, from 2012 through 2015, and I created the media award uh, named for Ken Squire and Barney Hall, and then the landmark award, which you know in any sport. You have your, your guys on the field or on the track that actually do it, but you have a lot of people behind the scenes that make it go or invent things that change the game. So we created a landmark award. So there's two permanent displays in the in the hall that are part of the induction every year mm -hmm. that I created. Super proud of that. And uh, I'll always be a NASCAR fan, um, unapologetically so, too. So I, I have an 11-year-old son, and uh, he just had his birthday uh, – couple of weeks ago and he's he loves race cars he grew up um of course a cars fan. he's seen every cars movie 
hundreds of times. So I actually took him to the whole thing to help him you know, celebrate his birthday, and he absolutely loved it. That's awesome. It's a great place. It is. Place. It, really, it really is. And and I'm not too uh, knowledgeable as far as you know the historic um, the historic image that it brings that it has. But you know I, I really enjoyed myself there as well. I mean, there's a lot of exhibits that were there, a lot of hands-on experience that you were able to to, to be able to um, to enjoy while there. So I, I really enjoyed that. Um, That's good. That's cool. It's a cool place. Um, another question for you, you know, taking it off the football field with the Falcons here. So, you know, you know, you're from Utah, so yep. um, graduated from BYU. So I, I, actually, I actually want to know, how do you feel about their football program going forward? I mean, they, they've had some success, a lot of success in recent years. Um, and of course, you know, they, they're, it looks like they're going to be having the number two overall pick. Um, being selected this year and Zach Wilson. So how do you feel overall about where the program is going and where do you see it going in the next five years? Eric, how long do we have here? <laughs> yeah, all night, Brett. You, you said night. 10, so we're, we're good. <laughs> I, I, want, I want my team to ask me this question in the office every day, and nobody will. Because <laughs> their minds can't go past the SEC. So, oh, yes. Typical. I got a lot of pen up BYU talk I can get yeah. out. <laughs> no, seriously, I, um, you know, the reason I'm in this business, probably if you go back to it, is I was an intern at BYU in the athletic department when Lavelle Edwards was the coach. Uh, for the rest of my life, I mean, I love Coach Smith. I love Coach Quinn. I love them all. There'll never be anybody who I revere or respect more than Lavelle Edwards. And right. he was so kind to me. I was just a dumb little intern. <laughs> my name always treated me with respect. It was great. And, um, so the program was, you know, Lavelle built an amazing program and uh, things got tough. You know, we're independent and that's a hard thing to be now. Right. And while I don't, I, I know a lot of reasons for the decision. I mean, BYU is one of the few schools that its own TV deal with ESPN. Right. Very lucrative for BYU, puts them on TV, which kind of goes to the mission of the school and everything else. But it's hard. I mean, you, we, you guys all know if you don't go, 12 and 0 and beat a couple of, you know, named schools, forget it. You're at the weed eater bowl. Um, <laughs> we spent a lot of time there. Um, so I love our, I love our current coach. Kalani Sataki's done a great job. He's an alum, which is really important for us. Um, he's done a great job recruiting. Um, and, you know, they had, they had uh, six combine guys this year mm -hmm. uh, and, they ended up Micah Simon, who ran in their pro day. He didn't get drafted last year. He's already been signed by Carolina. So they have some players. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I I uh, I watch every every play, every snap, every year. And uh, uh, so I'm all in. I think the future's tough. Just if you're not in a conference, it's just hard. Right. But I like what Kalani's built, and and I think this year obviously helped him in recruiting. Um, They've had some good transfers, and you know, they, they, what's crazy is when Zach Wilson got hurt last year, mm -hmm. the backup was Baylor Romney. Uh, he's the, the brother of the of the receiver. Yeah. He did pretty well, and yeah. everything from spring ball doesn't sound like he's going to win the job. They've got the uh, kid that just came back from a mission, and then uh, another freshman from Hawaii. So I don't know. You'll never you you never know at this point. Um, but I'm proud of the program. I'm proud of those kids this year. They did an amazing job. 
Um, I think if we would have had maybe 68 hours instead of 48 hours, we could have gotten Coastal Carolina. That was <laughs> crazy, crazy thing, but uh, is what it is. Yeah. Coastal Carolina was good, people. Okay, like they were good. They're not a bad team. People hear Coastal were, Carolina, they think it's just you know some they, random they, school. Like they were good. They peaked at what 13th in the in the AP yeah, yeah. Um, they, they were good. Yeah. And they run that kind of non-traditional offense that just, you know, you need a day or two to prepare for that. Right. Those guys got on the buses, you know, five minutes after finding out they were playing, flying across and playing 48 hours. I, you know, they, they could have won it. came down to a yard. Um, sure. So, oh, well, it is what it is. You can always second guess what happened. But we were just ha really just fortunate to pull together a full season. Right. Uh, independent, so – it's, I mean, yeah, it is. It is a little tough because of that. But you, you know, you guys are you guys are adding on some some non-conference teams by the year. You, know, you had a USC um, a couple of years ago, and we're able to beat them. Um, but yeah, BYU is is trending in the right direction. But it does have a, a, a very unique history, especially when you look at especially at the quarterback. Oh yeah, not like Jim McMahon at one point in time. Um, How about Steve Young? Yes, it's you are transitioning to Steve Young. And, yeah, so I mean, it's 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 heading in a good direction. But I, I just wanted to see, um, you know, your your mindset of where the program is going. So I assume that you you think BYU and Utah is the best rivalry in all of football. You know, it's funny. It's a great question, and and I get it all the time, and I, I preach as hard as I can preach, but. I think that people outside of the Southeast, I lived in New York, I lived in Chicago, they have no understanding of the Falcons-Saints rivalry and just how how brutal it is. Yeah. <laughs> they, just, they just don't. I lived in New York forever. People like, I didn't even know the NFC South existed. You know? right. <laughs> I have seen and heard things between Saints and Falcons fans that I didn't see in nine years between Giants. <laughs> I mean, crazy stuff. And the same thing is true. Most people, particularly in the East, don't understand the Holy War. Holy War, yeah. It is, uh, whoo, man, it's brutal. And I, I am in the camp that I, there's nothing I need more every year than to beat Utah. You know, we go six and five, but we beat Utah. Um, so it's that one's a thick one. Schools are like 50 minutes apart. Recruit from the same pools. Mm -hmm. so Parents are one ones of BYU, ones a Utah alum, and out the window that week. Oh man, we opened with them this year. Yeah, oh, that'll be a great game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one already. Yeah. All right. Quick, quick break here to read a, a donation from George Costanza with the five dollars. George, thank you again for your support, man. We appreciate you. He says, "I love Arthur Blank. When Vic broke his leg, Arthur was the one pushing him in a wheelchair on the sideline. I can tell he truly cares for his people and his players. He's an exceptional man and great story. They should make a movie about his life and his rise to wealth. Yeah, I'm, I'd probably watch that movie. Even if I wasn't a Falcons fan, I'd probably think it was interesting enough. So, who, who would who would play you, Brett? Nobody. <laughs> no one. As himself. There aren't any actors ugly enough for that. <laughs> oh, no, don't don't put yourself down. <laughs> well, well Adnan's not here yet, so he can't make us feel bad about our appearance. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, movies have been pitched and films and producers have had ideas and stuff. And, you know, the, 
one one guy that was thrown out as possible to play Arthur, uh, just a guy's idea, it wasn't anything real, but it shocked me when I thought about it because I was like, wow, I could see that. And that was Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, wow. Yeah. If you put, yeah. Their, if you put their pictures together, you could sort of see it. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess I can now that you mentioned it. I was never thought of it myself though. Neither would I. But the younger Arthur, you put the pictures together and it's like, hmm, okay. Hmm. Wow. But anyway, we'll see. Someday maybe. Yeah, I tell yeah. you, his, his life is very interesting and there's a lot of things that you know, I think he's the most public owner in the league, maybe in all of sports, and he definitely does more media than any of them. Um but there's a lot of things below the surface with Arthur that, that are, you know, have been kept private because he has his own little life that I think would be really interesting to people. I don't think that people realize how much he grinds on the health of society. It's social issues really bother him. And uh, people, you know, that are suffering really bothers him. And he spends a lot of time grinding on it. And sometimes I think a little too much. Uh, he needs to give himself a little bit of peace and um, know that he's doing a ton for so many people. But, you know, there's there's a side of him that I don't think a lot of people see. And most of it is his, his humanity, uh, which sounds weird for how public he is with his philanthropy. But it really, it really, uh, he's a really sensitive guy to those types of things, um, more so than a lot of people would realize, way more than I expected. I mean, I, you know, I've been around a lot of senior leaders over my whole career, and he, uh, he's as genuine article as there is when it comes to caring about people. There's just, it's not even close compared to others I've worked with in the past. Yeah, that's incredible, because you, you see a very public side of it, and I, I can imagine that it's, it's, it's great to hear from you, someone who works with with them on, on a daily basis, um, that it's, he's not just talking the talk, he walks the walk too. And I think those of us that closely follow the team, we know, but for people just on the outside, it's, you know, I, I'm just really proud um, of Arthur Blank as the owner of the Falcons. I mean, I don't think a lot of fan bases can say that they're legitimately proud of their owner. And maybe some would pretend, but um, it's genuine. I think when we talk about Arthur Blank is just, I think the best thing to happen to this, this football team is when he took over, so. I, I would definitely say he's one of the more patient owners in the league. Um, you know, he's he's definitely not in the same realm as a, as a guy like Jerry Jones or anything like that. You know, you know he wants fast results right now. I mean, he, that's one thing about Arthur Grant. He's willing to, to wait things out and, and see things manifest. Um, and that's and and a lot of a lot of fans I see recognize that as well. Yeah, he listen. I think that uh, some of my colleagues would would laugh if they heard the words patient and Arthur in the same sentence. Really? <laughs> but it, it's mostly because if, if you look at it on the outside, it would be that way. But what he is, is he really values continuity and he values uh, long-term relationships and he values, um, you know, he just saw through the course of Home Depot how when you have especially people that are aligned to your values um, and you give them time to grow and you give them time to really excel. Look what happened to that company. And Arthur and Bernie would be the first to tell you that they built an incredible leadership team of people who were aligned to their values and understood the way they want to do the business. And they let them go. And um, 
the longer people stayed, the more success they had uh, as a business. And, and so some of that is sort of in his DNA. And you see it, you know, look around his organization. We just got a new president of the foundation. Penny had been here 16 years and retired. Rich has been here a long time. Dick, who runs our PGA business, was with him at Home Depot and then the Falcons. And so, you know, he's he's got these long-term relationships and they mattered a lot to him and, and they've led to his success. So Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know I know people are itching for Falcons takes on here, but I do want to get to the Blank Foundation before we dive into to more Falcons topics. I it there it's involved in a ton of stuff, but I didn't know if you could mention maybe some of your favorite uh, projects or, or things that the foundation's involved in right now. Wow, uh, shoot, that really would take a long time. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm so proud of the foundation. I'm so proud of Arthur, really, because he is the foundation and. Uh, kind of goes back to what I said earlier, you know, Arthur, he does a lot of things that are visible. He does a lot of things that nobody really sees. Uh, Arthur really steps to the plate in moments like the pandemic. And, uh, uh, you know, I won't, I won't divulge any details I can, but there's, there's a lot of nonprofits that are important nonprofits in this community, in Montana and other places that would have ceased to exist without Arthur stepping in to, to get them through the, through the pandemic. Not to mention just what he's done for his own his own people, um, particularly his stadium workers. But you know he's he's made some you know almost three hundred million dollars in grants in the last twelve months, and uh, they've all been pretty meaningful. But one that stands out to me, and it's just uh, I, I wish I wish I could have taken people behind the scenes on this when we couldn't. But he gave uh, twenty million dollars to uh, uh, fund a stuttering education and research center at the University of Texas. And a lot of people don't know this, but Arthur stuttered really, really bad. Still does at times, you know, and he's in meetings and stuff. You don't see it as much in the media because he's, you know, it's just a different cadence. But there's times where he, he gets a little hung up. And But when he was in college, it would take him minutes to get answers out to questions. His brother, um, Michael Stutters, his father was a stutterer. It's a really personal issue to Arthur. And uh, there's this, uh, Dr. Courtney Bird at the University of Texas has got a really interesting, unique approach to both the research and treatment. And so that grant just evolved over, you know, about the period of eight or nine months. And when we did the launch on that, it was, it was probably the most powerful press event I've ever been to. And I've been to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds over the last three decades. Mm-hmm. These young people that were all from, let's say, five years old to 20 years old, um, take the microphone and say to the audience what they wish people knew about people who stutter. And it, it was hard. So it was very hard for some of them to get it out. But, boy, they stayed right through it and courage and the, the just the power of that moment. And here comes Arthur, which is the biggest grand ever to that um, condition. Um, it was just it connected him personally. Those kids were connected. It's a massive grant that's going to touch thousands of people and that's what's really cool about his philanthropy is it's none of it is write a check and see you later we hope it works out well he stays very involved stays engaged he keeps us engaged to make sure the programming is happening we leverage the properties the falcons united stadium uh, dr um, dr bird is taking a group out to West Creek Ranch this year to work on it at his cost. 
so his his, his philanthropy is very meaningful and uh, you know it, he's now over 800 million in giving uh, since he left Home Depot and he has grand ambitions that you know that number will more than double here in the next you know six seven eight years and um, so it's really cool a lot of focus on youth development uh, very big focus on democracy and journalism and a uh, lot of a lot of passion in the family towards uh, environment and uh, protecting our environment and things for the future so um, that's kind of the upshot yeah that's incredible it's great to hear about all that stuff um, so yeah I'm just super honored to, to be tangentially you know related mm -hmm. to the team um, because you just love to hear about those type of programs <laughs> Before we switch to Falcon stuff, can I ask something real quick? Um, I've read this twice already. Good company. It's probably backwards in the camera. I'm not sure. It's actually but, perfect. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, excellent. Um, Brett, I know you know you were heavily involved in it, and um, you know there was proceeds from the book that went to the national. I believe it's the National Center of uh, Human and Civil Rights. I might have got mm -hmm. that flip. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, working on that book and getting those stories? Um, one of my favorite stories, everybody should get it because it's got a ton of Falcons inside. One of my favorites is about um, right as Blink was buying the team, he got on the t team plane after a loss. And instead of flying up front, he went in the back and sat with the players and talked to them and pretty much was like trying to get inside on what they, you know, what they want to get better and all this kind of stuff. So can you just talk a little bit about the book and like how, how it all came together? Yeah, sure. Um, that was a better part of my last three years. So it's a subject I know pretty well. Uh, you know, when I got here, I got here in November of 2015. And those first two months, I kept coming out of meetings with Arthur just going, I can't believe this. I'm, I'm getting a free MBA, a free history, you know, degree. It was like, I'm sitting here with one of these icons of, of American business and none of this is captured anywhere. And, and I, I'd come home and tell Melissa, my wife, like, this is crazy. I got to get this stuff on paper, just even if it's just for his family. And so in March of 2016, I'd only been here three months. I went to him and I said, Hey, I, you need to do a book. And I won't repeat what he said to me, but it was basically an invitation to leave his office immediately and don't talk to him again about a book. Maybe the words weren't quite that nice. But, uh, they weren't bad. But I, was, I just kept at it, and he references that in the acknowledgments in the book because I just said, no, this has got to happen, and we're going we're gonna to do it. So he gave me the green light that summer, and, um, and it was a cool, cool adventure. Uh, his... his his co-writer uh, named Alan Daly is amazing, amazing person. Just able to pull stories out of him. She did interviews with him everywhere from the ranch in Montana to his planes in the stadium. And it was amazing to just be a fly on the wall and hear his stories and, and put that all together. And uh, it's a it's a great book. It's an easy read. It's done very well. It's on all the bestseller lists and uh, all the proceeds forever are going to the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, which, uh, again, he just also made another donation there, $17 million to build a new wing, uh, which will have the Dr. King's papers in that wing. They're going to be really cool when that's done. Um, so the book's great. Um, you know, I appreciate Evan. Uh, he wrote a good review on it.
first first read. And uh, I just appreciate the plug because it's a great gift for your dads for Father's Day or grads are coming up. Um, one last thing I'll say on that is that, you know, Arthur, once he got into it, he was excited about it and he loves it and he's proud of it. Um, but what he wants more than anything is he wants young business students and young leaders to read the book because in his view, and I agree with him 100%, if the values outlined in the book were adopted by one or 2% of the people in the country, we would have so far less problems than we have right now because it's really a lesson on how to lead with a heart, put your values first, take care of people, do the right thing, all wrapped in the stories of success of the Home Depot and the rest of his businesses, which nobody can argue with. So appreciate the question, Evan. Everybody get it where fine books are sold. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great plug. plug. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, it's on my list now. Uh, So. Well, there's, and that's the thing is I want, there's like so many lessons, business stuff and life stuff. But if you're just wanting Falcon stuff, there's a ton of it. I mean, just all the different things he's went through. You don't, you know, I, I forget sometimes how long he's owned the team and just the experiences he's gone through from, I mean, I'm not going to list them all, but, you know, Vic's stuff, Super Bowl stuff, um, his purchase of the team. It's it's just pumped full of it. And I don't want to give anything away, but um, definitely a good read. I've Like I said, I've already read it twice. Um, tons of good quotes in there. Just, yeah. Let me give one thing away. Everybody should get it to read chapter nine. It's my favorite chapter in the book. It explains why he goes down on the sideline, uh, the whole history of that, which roots back to a statue that's in our in the family office in Buckhead of a Sioux warrior named Strongheart. And it's a really cool story. It forever answers the question of why he goes down there, win, lose, playoff, preseason, doesn't matter. And um, um, that's the question I get besides the red helmets. That's the number two question I get. Why does he do that? And now I just say, read chapter nine. Yep. All right. That's, I'm sure people will want to find out because it's been, I guess, the topic of some debate among fans. But oh, yeah. he's doing it for a good reason. It's for a good reason, folks. So It's really cool, actually. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I got, I got another question I want to toss out there for you. You know, of course, last year was a very unique year across the entire NFL landscape. Um, but with with all the happenings that came with COVID and the protocols and things of that nature, how did that change how you guys were able to work in the front office? How how was that? How did that alter everything? Upstairs, well, a lot of fans don't see that and they don't know that, of course. So yeah, well, I, I'll tell you. It's a great question, Eric. Um, I probably should have written a book about that whole thing. (laughs) You know, from July 17th on, Mm -hmm. you go to Flowery Branch and test 
every day, every morning. Wow. Saturday, Sunday, holiday, it did not matter. We had to go and test. And the protocols and the movement in the building and who could be in the building so, so uh, carefully managed. I've said it to a lot of people, I'll say it again forever, is through the heart of the pandemic, the safest I ever felt was in Flowery Branch. I mean, it was like a clean room, basically. Right. The protocols were so tight, you knew that nobody in the building had COVID. They couldn't because they're testing every single day. If there was any flag, you're out. The cleaning that was happening, we had to wear these little tracer uh, bracelets that would time and track how long we were with somebody within six feet, which uh, contact tracing. It, is, it should not be lost on anyone. The NFL did an amazing job, an excellent job. And Roger and Dr. Seals and the ICOs in each team, the fact that we did not lose a single game all year astounding mm -hmm. counting with how many bodies you have that you have to have to play football right. banging into each other on the field in practice traveling the whole thing it's amazing yeah so now for us you know they our team the communications team the digital team basically we had three or four people that could be in the building ever mm -hmm. higher rest of the team was working off-site so we, we launched those uniforms with everyone outside the building. Wow. We executed games and created all the digital content you see on our social handles, digital, pretty much all of it outside the building. Um, travel was so limited. Um, you know, press conferences and everything, all via Zoom, except for a me few media standing up on the top of the hill, which you know, we thank them, and God bless them for driving out there every day. Yes. Far away, you can't even see anything. Um, so basically, there isn't any part of our operations that weren't impacted. And uh, again, I just give Rich McKay and others so much credit for how they handled it. And then to think that you had a coach and GM change six weeks into it, with uh, you know just the the change that that creates in the building and the pressure on everything and start search and all those things. I just am really proud, really, really proud of our team, really proud of the NFL, because there wasn't anything that was normal. Really, the only thing that ended up being normal was the actual football game. The game itself, yeah. That's really the only thing that was normal. Everything else was not. Um, it was weird. It was really weird, and I'm so glad, hopefully, we're, we're on a different page this year. Yeah. yeah. Go get vaccinated. Yep, yep. I, I have – Got mine. Yeah, you get the rest of you guys. You know, I expect you to as well. It's, you know, we would make it mandatory at the Falcoholic, but, you know, we're not actually allowed to do that. So uh, you should still get it, though, you know, just, just to support the cause, guys. It's a good idea. Yeah. Um, all right. So I know everyone's going to want to know about the biggest thing this offseason, which, of course, was the hiring of Terry Fontenot as the new general manager and Arthur Smith as the new head coach. Biggest thing that's happened with the team in a while, complete change. Uh, you know, it's the first new general manager since 2008. So just a huge shift. Can you talk a little bit about the hiring process and how you guys landed on Fontenot and Smith? Yeah, it's another uh, great question. And uh, I wasn't on the, uh, on the quote search committee, but my team prepared a lot of materials. And I obviously I was out there and in discussions with Rich every day, but 
I, our team just, you know, you never like to make a change, particularly in the middle of the season. Uh, it's just, it's hard to do. It impacts so many people that you love and care about. And it's just hard. But on the advantage side of it is you get a lot of time to be prepared. You get a lot of time to you know, really think through your process and, and do a lot of homework uh, in advance. And our team, and as I, I say that, I say guys like Rich and Rustin Webster and uh, several others that were part of that process, it was really impressive. Uh, I'll just tell you, it was really impressive how thorough they were, the data that they were pulling, the information uh, from, from everywhere. Um, really, really smart process. And I will tell you that, uh, you know, it's not breaking news or anything, but, you know, those guys that we ended up interviewing emerged pretty quickly. Uh, when you got through the research process, but of course you never know what's going to happen with, you know, guys taking other jobs or, you know, opting out of interviewing or whatever it may be. But now sitting here on April 4th, I'll tell you that they had a good plan. Uh, they talked to the right people and pretty quickly it became clear that uh, Coach Smith and Terry Fontenot were going to be the guys. And uh, then you transition into opening, hoping you can land them and uh, all those things. So um, really good process, really efficient, really smart. Uh, Rich was really smart to involve a lot of people, um, which is interesting because there was a lot of criticism that Rich would be a, a <laughs> in, in, getting, in getting good candidates to come. Really just absolutely the opposite. And, mm -hmm. and and Terry have told me privately uh, that they saw that as one of the great advantages of having a president who had you know, walked in their shoes, the son of a coach, somebody with that much knowledge. And it was very clear Rich was going to let them do what they wanted to do. And, and, you know, in some of the personnel moves, both on the player side and on the staff side, it should be pretty clear to everyone that they've been able to do what they, they want to do. Um, but I just think Rich did a really great job with that process. Arthur, obviously, super personally involved, and he worked hard. Arthur, <laughs> Arthur put in a lot of time, I know, um, during that process. It was actually good for me because I got a little break from all my other stuff. It was pretty tied up with the search. Um, but uh, couldn't be happier with those two guys. Yeah, yeah, and I mean – we at the Falcoholic, I think, tried to explain the Rich McKay thing to people, but I, I don't know that the average fan understands that Rich McKay is on the competition committee. This is one of the most respected figures in the NFL. Um, all fans can think about is his history as a GM, which, you know, I think some fans are maybe not as impressed with and think that he just wants to, you know, insert himself and secretly has been pining for the GM job this whole time. But I regret to inform you guys that was not the case, uh, as we tried to tell you. But. Yeah, not the case. And, and listen, I, I think probably if people knew how much time he devotes to competition committee or, you know, uh, other other things we have to do in our businesses, uh, with our, particularly the Falcons as it relates to the other businesses, he doesn't have time to be involved in all that stuff. He ends up being as a really good resource, has a lot of historical knowledge, and let's not forget, he is really smart. Um, mm -hmm. Teases me all the time. And he he uh, went to Princeton, and I went to the Princeton of the West. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rich is a smart guy, great experience, 
football family. Uh, he's an asset, and it proved out to be that. Um, so I can tell you a lot about Terry and Arthur, but I, I probably should stop talking and let you ask the question. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that. I mean, for me personally, um, the Falcons had – just come off two defensive head coaches and we were starting to see especially with the the emergence of analytics things the winds kind of start shifting a little bit in the in the process towards offensive coaches for a variety of reasons you know offenses tended to be more stable year to year um offensive coiners tend to get poached quickly as the falcons have seen themselves multiple times um so i'm wondering how much that the analytics factored in um to the hiring decision for arthur smith uh, was it a little? Was it a lot? Was it just something you kind of kept in mind, or how did that play out? It's really a, a better question for Rich and, and those guys, but what I will tell you is that, um, you know, Arthur Smith, Coach Smith, as I call him, to not get confused with the other Arthur. <laughs> yes, yes. But Coach Smith is the very first impression I had of him matched exactly what those who had been on the interview committee said, which is he is really smart. He is really smart, really thoughtful, does his homework, has a very clear vision of what he wants to do and how he wants to do it and with what type of player he wants to do it. And you don't, I mean, guys like that are, you always hear people are really well read when you're, when you're talking about business object, executives and other things like that. It's because they consume every piece of data they can get. And it's not just stuff that gets spit out of, out of a computer. They're able to process data in a personal one-on-one -on -one conversation or a chat with a coach at a pro day. And just to be able to, just like Arthur, he's a savant with information. Arthur Blank, he's just a savant with information. He's just able to process it and turn everyday conversations into analytics, if you would. Mm -hmm. And just get that sense with, with Coach Smith. Is he's just a really smart guy that is thorough and turns over every bit of information he can. Great listener. He is a great listener. He listens to people. And, um, you know, it's funny is he, 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 he kind of, it's not a scowl, but when he's, when he's listening to you, he kind of like, is he mad at me? Um, <laughs> he's just so intense. He's just such an intent listener. Um, and I love that about him. It's just really, really great. We presented to him something the other day. And uh, he was just locked in, locked in. And um, so I think that that's, I think that's what the fans are going to see. You're not going to see a bunch of cheerleading and rah-rah and, you know, you're just not going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a lot of facts. Here's the information. Here's what we did well. Here's what we didn't do well. And, uh, and then he's going to move on to the next thing. Yeah. I think that was, that was the contrast that a lot of people saw early on between <laughs> In the, in the difference between him and Dan Quinn. Uh, you know, Dan Quinn was more of that, you know, that upbeat guy that, you know, he, we, we talked a lot of, amongst the, amongst us, ourselves in the group, in the Falcoholic group chat, but he had a lot of, had a lot of, uh, had a lot of puns, had a lot of, uh, a lot of sayings and, and things of that nature. And compared to Arthur Smith, who was straight to the point, focused, and it probably has to deal with the fact that, you know, who his dad is. Over the years, had to listen to that type of guidance from his dad. Yeah, you know what? Listen, I I, I will forever love Dan Quinn and coaches. All coaches are different. Mm -hmm. 
have CEOs. They're all different. They have a different approach of how they get things done. It doesn't mean one way will or can be more successful than the other. This means it's different. Um, but that is a clear contrast between Coach Smith and Coach Quinn. Is you know, when Coach Coach Smith is he's a he's a very serious person. Not that EQ wasn't, but but Coach Smith is just very serious. And listen, he's he's three months into his first head coaching job. Yeah, he's he's focused, and uh, uh, it's it's cool to see. And he's got a really cool thing going with Terry. Um, they are in lockstep, regardless of what you may hear or think. They are. <laughs> they have such a good plan. You feel really confident whenever you're with them that they're they both have a clear vision of what they want to do, and uh, um, and I think that will be seen in time. If you just look at the free agent stuff we've done so far. And then you go back and you pull up Terry and Arthur's first press conferences that laid out their vision. Yep. There's no daylight between what they said and what they've done. It's aligning. Yeah, it really is. It really um, is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, I yeah, I, I love to hire. It's funny that I think a fan put me on the spot in, like, September and asked me to name the next head coach. And I was like, well, you know, Eric Bieniemy is a favorite. Joe Brady was gaining some hype at the time, but I was like, you know, I think it's going to be Arthur Smith. You know, he, he seems like, the, like kind of under the radar guy, you know, it's never the first name that comes to mind. And so it's funny, like looking back, like, Oh wow. Yeah. I, uh, you know, Arthur Smith did get to hire, but it was a hire that made a lot of sense. I thought for the type of offense, the Falcons, like the personnel they have, the quarterback they have. Um, I know Arthur Smith has talked about being versatile and being multiple and building the offense around the players that he has. Um, do you think we're we're going to see a similar offense to what he's run in Tennessee, or do you think we're going to see something totally different based on Atlanta's personnel? Well, I, that's that's a much better question for Coach Smith, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you could ask him. <laughs> I'm the PR guy, and uh, you, you'll get a chance to ask him. But listen, I think that successful coaches, they, they go to their strengths, but they also, you know, you know, I'm a huge Utah Jazz fan. Anybody that follows me on Twitter sometimes probably thinks I work for the team, uh, that team. Um, I revere Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan, if anybody follows him, was like, he was so true to what he believed, but he was also really good at adjusting to his talent. And uh, like when they got Hornacek from from Philly, all of a sudden we were shooting threes, and he'd been preaching pound the paint, pound the paint for ten years. Now all of a sudden he had a weapon out there. He's like, okay, well I'm going to adjust this. And I just think great coaches, you know, they have a core philosophy, things they believe in, but they're they're good enough and smart enough to adjust to, to what they have. And and I think Coach Smith will do that. Super smart guy. He's got a he's built an amazing staff. Um, it's funny on the facility. I think we should be using those "Hello, my name is" patches. Because every corner you walk around, there's somebody new, and I'm like, who that is? Especially wearing masks. But um, it's, it's, his staff is really, they're really going to be good, I think. And uh, I think they're smart enough to adjust to what they have, but they have a really clear vision of how they're going to build the team in the future. That's that's pretty apparent when you talk to them. We'll see that here in three weeks, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I Obviously, fans want to know about the draft. Um, don't expect 
you know, I don't think they should expect you to tell us who they're going to pick, because uh, I doubt even you know. No and idea. If you, if you told us, you'd have to kill us, and there's a lot of people watching, so that'd probably be messy. But um, so, yeah, I mean, what do you have any take on on what you think the the focus is at four? Obviously, all options are on the table with all the trades that happen. They seem to be in a really good spot to basically be a wild card in the truest sense of the word and do whatever they want. So do you have any takes on that? Any thoughts or, or preferences? Oh, I have thoughts and preferences for sure. <laughs> as the, as the PR guy, not as the head coach or the GM or of course, of course. Uh, listen, I think that, you know, you never want to be drafting for ever again. Um, or you don't you just don't want to be drafting here. Um, and, uh, but you, I think that they've done a great job of laying out their vision and their philosophy of how they want to play, type of player they want. Um, I think Terry is, you know, um, I'm really excited about Terry Fontenot and uh, how crisp his thinking is and how I see his preparation. Um, he's not a guy who's going to show his cards that much. And so I'll just warn everybody right now is, <laughs> is that's not his game. And, uh, uh, you can see that a little bit from where he came from. Uh, they're traditionally pretty guarded, and they did a great job. And they've done a great job in the draft, and uh, I think Terry will be able to bring some of that same type of success. As an I personal philosophy, you know, I, I just and that's all it is is my personal philosophy. I kid Arthur all the time that you know until I came to Atlanta, I was a lifelong 49er fan. Grew up out west. My entire family chose the Broncos, so I just had to be different. So I chose the four. <laughs> and it's really you. That's all you got on TV was one of those two teams. But, you know, the great 49er teams were amazing in the trenches. They were deep in the trenches. They were deep in the offensive line. And even in 2012, which I know was painful for Falcons fans, if you go back to the draft that changed that team, they had two first round picks and they used them both on offensive linemen took the tackle, they took Mikey Potty, put him next to Joe Staley, they killed their guard and, uh, and Alex Boone at the other guard, and they were nasty, nasty. And then they had uh, Vic Fangio on the defensive side, and they just they just they drafted to the, to the way they wanted to play. And they were nasty up front, and they were nasty on the D-line. And, uh, you know, I just uh, – uh, just – just my opinion. I just love us to get nasty on the lines. And, um, uh, but you know what? You're in a good spot here. We're going to be the story of the next three weeks because mm -hmm. he's going to know what we're going to do. And, and we're not going to, Arthur and Gary are too good and too smart to show their hand. Uh, but you gotta, you gotta like the position and trust them that they're going to, you're going to do it, do with the capital they have to the way they want to build this team for a long, long time. I think the most important thing out of the whole thing is, and hopefully most people caught this in the, in the early pressers, is Arthur Blank and Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot want to win every game they play, including this year. Mm -hmm. Build the team for the long haul, and, and that's what uh, I think all of us want. Is you want to, Arthur's, Arthur Blank's favorite thing to say is, I want a contender every year. And um, that happens in the draft. So, yeah. yeah. How did that? How did that carry over within the building that uh, a, a longtime Saints executive was going to be hired to take over the Falcons and guide the Falcons? You know what? 
I can only speak for myself. Yeah. Three seconds after that guy walked in the building, you loved him. Okay. He is just a uh, – he's a good man. Good man that cares about two things, his family and football. Yeah. And uh, uh, he is so courteous and so engaging and smart. And you get that right off the bat. He's very earnest. He's thoughtful. And he is really focused. And his light is on. I bet he's still in there right now. Um, that's, all he, that's all he's doing right now. So he, he, you know, I think everybody in the building trusted Arthur Blank and Rich and everyone to get somebody that would be great. And then he walked in the building and it was like he charmed everybody in five seconds with his intelligence, his character, his demeanor, and uh, just his clear focus. Um, really good guy. I, I have one little anecdote I'll share with you. That just uh, My uh, this young lady that works with me named Laura Fawaz, who I had her up at the facility this last week, first up there. She's sitting, uh, sitting at the desk, and she was the project manager on the book, actually. And when I told – Terry walked by and said, hey, Terry, meet Laura. She was the quarterback on the book. And he put his stuff down, and he went over, and he just shook her hand, and he's like, I love the book. It was absolutely important to me buying into what Arthur was selling. Me. And, you know, this young lady feels like a million bucks. You know, the GM of our football team drops everything to go and, and engage her. And that's just kind of who he is. It's just uh, it's a different, you know, different uh, – um, just just felt instantly that this guy was like all in. I care about you. We're going to do this together. And I just think that both of them um, and the staffs that he built, there's just a really cool energy in Flowery Branch right now. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think you could tell instantly when you watch both of their press conferences, honestly, um, what kind of guys you were getting and Fontenot's in particular. I mean, that's, that was a legendary press conference, you know, brought the kids out in Falcons gear. He knows how to charm us. You know, he, he's, he's smart with that. So, um, I, just did, a great- I did tell him, I did tell him on, uh, we had a meeting with him on Tuesday and we were just talking about, you know, kind of some of our content plans. And I asked him if he, if you remember the, the Todd Gurley picture at the Superdome where he was in front of the S and it just said Ains on the wall. <laughs> so we were absolutely getting that picture with you. <laughs> he just laughed and thought it was good. Yeah. But you, awesome. but you weren't serious, right? You, you, oh, no, we are getting it. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, we're getting it. <laughs> good, good, yeah. And, and one thing, uh, and hi, sorry to pop in here. Uh, yeah, what's up, Adnan? Right, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, one thing that I found out that's this. I'm distraught over is uh, that Terry isn't watching the show right now. That it said he's uh, doing draft uh, draft prep. Well, I'm happy he's doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. I guess that's a good excuse, you know, yeah. just doing the work that's going to decide the future of the team. I yeah, guess we'll, maybe. we'll let it slide yeah. for for another month or two, but you know, yeah. in the off season, <laughs> no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Right. I want to ask you as a PR guy, uh, what your your favorite and your least favorite day uh, as a PR guy of the Atlanta Falcons over your storied career with, with the franchise? Hmm. It's interesting. It's a good one. Um, well, everybody's going to think I'm going to jump to the Super Bowl for both of them, and it's neither of those. Um, best day, uh, I got to be honest with you, is uh, when we kicked off against Green Bay the first game in the stadium. 
because there was, I never had a year that hard in my life. Um, launching the stadium, launching the soccer team, you know, PGA was growing, we're buying ranches, the whole thing. Um, that was, I just, I'll never forget how hard our team worked. Uh, and those, especially in those closing weeks to get the stadium ready to go. And then to have that thing on NBC, on, you know, Sunday night football packed, it was just, um, it was electrifying personally. Um, thankfully we won the game and it was a good game and whatnot, but it wouldn't matter. That night was just amazing. Mm-hmm. First day, that's easy. Um, you know, the, the day that we let go of Dan and Thomas, um, doesn't mean I don't, didn't agree with what our Arthur chose to do, but that's the one of the things that sucks about this business. Um, you know, good people, um, they get, get let go of times and, uh, when you have a personal connection with them and you care about them and you really care about their families and, you know, little Mason Dimitrov, uh, I'll never forget after the Super Bowl, Arthur just holding him outside the, outside the locker room and you get attached to these kids and they're, you know, my son's name is Mason. He's the same age as Mason Dimitrov. And so, and my wife very close with Stacy Quinn. So those days, even though sometimes they're necessary, sometimes they happen, they suck. And uh, I don't have any hesitation saying that. It's a, the, the drive to the facility that day was terrible. The drive home was terrible. The night before was terrible. It was just terrible. And uh, you know, I wish both those guys great success. They're, they're good men. And um, I care about their families. And uh, I'm super excited for uh, Coach Smith, super excited for Coach Fontenot. But um, – those are those are bad days. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always sad, um, and I don't think like fans. A lot of fans don't truly understand because they don't work with them every day. I mean, I think obviously some of the media that actually do get to you know talk with Dan Quinn every day, talk with Thomas Dimitrov every day. It's it's a totally different story because I think it's so easy to see people involved with NFL teams as just a picture as just a caricature and you know when things aren't going well they become the face of everything wrong um and they're just people uh and it's always hard to to move on from people that you really like regardless of the business and what's going on but uh you're you're right kevin and remember in that situation you're not talking about two men and two families you're talking upwards of you know 30 men and families that ultimately are impacted and um it's hard. It's the business we chose. I don't think sports will ever change where people get lifetime appointments and things like that, but it is, it is tough. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. I know a lot of people have asked about Dean Pease obviously was brought in after Arthur Smith was hired. Did our, did you guys maybe know, or were suspicious that Pease might be joining Arthur Smith before the hire was made? Or did that kind of come together quickly afterwards? Yeah, again, remember, I, I wasn't on the, on the That's actual right. Committee. You did say that, yeah. So, uh, you know, and I wasn't in the interviews. I've, I've watched them now since. Um, you know, coaches, they come in, I think the interviews are different than, you know, when you go interview for a job at, you know, a store or something. Mm-hmm. Is These guys are coming in with their plan and, and giving some indication of who they think they can be bringing with them. It's not, never always happens perfectly to how it's laid out, but um, – you know, I think that one of the things that was important, you know, for Coach Smith or, you know, any hire that's made around the league is they're selling not just themselves, but their plan and the type of 
defense they want to run and the type of people they think can come with them. Um, and, uh, you know, you want the guy to be as comfortable as possible with the people he wants around him. And, uh, you know, they want to sell you as best they can on what they can, what they can bring with them. And, you know, coach Pease is a great, you know, he's, he's, yeah. uh, I had always had a perception of him, uh, you know, when he was a Baltimore and Tennessee, it's just this, you know, really tough, hard nosed guy. And he is, and his defenses certainly are. In the office, he was the nicest guy in the building. He's just like so friendly and so welcoming to us. Like, you know, he'd been in the building for a week and he hadn't seen me. And then I came in the building. He's like, oh, how you doing? Like, I was the new guy. I'm like, well, I've been here for a while. But it was really good. So I think they've built a great staff. Um, there is a lot of energy in that staff right now. Really cool. Yeah, it's always cool, I think, to have the first-time head coaches. And you've been through two of them now, um, you know, setting up things for the first time. You know, obviously, these guys have both had mentors, guys that have kind of probably prepared them at least somewhat for what's going on. But is there any difference, appreciable difference, between how Dan Quinn started to kind of set things up and and make his mark versus how Arthur Smith is doing uh, so far? Yeah, you know, I got here a little bit after Dan started. Um, I got here in uh, November of 2015, so I wasn't here right at his outset. Um, so I can't speak to that. They're, they're different people. They are. They're, they both love football. They're both great guys, you know, and really care about their families. But they're different. You know, Coach BQ's, uh, you know, I, I one of the things I loved about him, one of the things my family loved about him, he was just so – you know, personable and, you know, would give you a hug and all those things. Coach Smith, very personal, but he's like, okay, we, we got football to do. Does this mean he's over, you know, um, <laughs> which is good. And uh, they're just different. I think that, you know, as I was talking to media, I tell them all the time now is, you know, coaches develop their own swerve with the media, their own personality, their own willingness to share and whatnot. You know, I think Coach Smith's going to be an adjustment for some because he is all business. You know, it's just what we're going to do. Um, I think he's, uh, I think he's going to, he wants to have a great relationship with the media. He said that, and and he understands how hard the media work and how important they are as a conduit to the fans and all that. But he's not going to be laying out his game plans, um, and uh, he'll be pretty, uh, pretty smart with the information that he shares. I think same a little bit with Terry. Um, and, uh, but they're, you know, I, coaches are going to get judged on every single thing they do. It's the hardest job in the world. I mean, CEOs of fortune 100 companies sometimes have to do media four times a year when they do earnings. Mm -hmm. head coaches do it four times a week Mm -hmm. and guys like us, me, you, and everybody that's listening, we hang on every word. Yeah. When people get spun out over a third string left tackle sign, <laughs> in, like, what are they doing? It's oh like, my God. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just crazy to scrutiny, but that, that also is the strength of our game. We, it's why they just did those TV deals at the numbers they did it, because we love it, man. I'm a fan too. And we hang on every transaction and every scrap of information we can get about an upcoming game, especially if it's the Saints. And, uh, you know, I think gaming will make that even more uh, mm-hmm. someday. But, um, you know, I just uh, – it is what it is. It's uh, – um, 
it's a very, very tough job to be a head coach. And yeah. uh, you have to, I always tell our coaches, whatever sport they're in, it's just be authentic. Just be you. Don't go out there and try to be anything you're not because people smell that out in one minute. And it's, if you're not consistent, then they will tear you apart. So if you want to be all business, be all business. If you want to tell jokes, tell jokes. But don't be a chameleon. And uh, I don't think Coach Smith has it in his DNA to be anything <laughs> other than he is, um, which is great. I think he's going to be really successful. Yeah, it, that was one of the more interesting things for me was adjusting from Dan Quinn's style. You know, you can watch the videos of his interviews. He's just very, you know, boisterous. He gets really into it. He's very animated. And Smith is, like you said, all business. Just like he sounds like a supercomputer sometimes. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. And this is this detail about this player and this formation. And all. like he just sounds like a walking football encyclopedia, which is I appreciate that in my coach. Uh, so <laughs> just the, I mean, the recall is very impressive. And um, it'll be it'll be an adjustment definitely for media and fans. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that. But I do want to give everybody else a chance to ask questions as well. Uh, so if you guys have anything else, go ahead. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, uh, all of us here. Um, one of the things that kind of separates the Falcolic from a lot of places, like we're all we've all been Falcons fans before we started writing and stuff. Like I've been a fan since I was six years old. Um, this past year, as like strange as it was and everything, um, I don't know if you were personally watching games at the stadium, but do you know like what Blank's thoughts on? I mean, it had to have been surreal to just be in an empty stadium when normally there's fans and stuff like going on with the game environment and stuff. Evan, it was terrible. Yeah. I'm not even gonna sugarcoat it. It was, it was. I hated it. Um, it was the first year in 26 years that I didn't go in a, in a press box the whole season because I was a tier two. So we were sequestered in a suite. So at the home games, we were on the home sideline down in the corner up in a suite with like four fans around. There's sometimes you could hear the quarterbacks making the call and I'm up on the first concourse, which was, that was kind of cool, but weird and eerie. And when you'd have big plays, there was no, there was no energy to the building. Uh, I, I, again, like I said earlier, I think the league deserves all the credit and then some that they can get for pulling off the season. And I hope we never have to do it again that way. It's uh, this wasn't that fun in the building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so impressed that we didn't lose any games. Like you mentioned, I mean, it, it, it was incredible. Um, I think, you know, a lot of us were, obviously very cautious about the state of the NFL. You know, the season kind of was get, kicking off right at a kind of a bad time. So I was very worried that the season wasn't going to finish. Um, so it was definitely a relief to see that it, it did go off. You know, it wasn't perfect, obviously, but I think it's about as well as we could have hoped <laughs> at this point. There was a there was a time where we weren't even sure there was – It's. I mean, I don't know what the inside was thinking, but the outside it was like they were talking about, well, there'll be a season. And, yeah. hope, you know, thankfully there was one. And, you know, I know a couple games like were like rescheduled or whatever, like later in the week, but – uh, yeah, I mean, it was one of the things that kept me sane <laughs> just watching football. So, it you know, it's, it's a great point there you make, Evan, that uh, was a real, in my opinion, was, was one of the most pivotal moments of last year for the league was the draft because every team's digital metrics were off the charts. The ratings were off the charts. And it was like 
people want this. It, it was a break from the crazy, relentless news about the about the pandemic and the political scene and all that stuff. And in my opinion, the way the draft went, that put the wind in the sails to say, you know what? Not only can we do this, we need to do this. Um, people want it, and um, we saw the same thing with our uniform launch, which we that was. Uh, I can't remember what date we did that, but it was right around the draft. Um, it was right before the draft because um, same thing. I mean, people were just, whether they hated the uniforms or loved the uniforms or were mad at me because we didn't have a red helmet or whatever, <laughs> when they, had that, they were all in and the numbers were off the charts. And we didn't even have a store open. Our Atlantic Station store was closed and we broke all the sales records that day. Um, even when they, you know, people were worried about the economy and their businesses and and those those moments just gave us huge confidence as a league to say we got to get this done. And, and how difficult was it to keep those uniforms a secret? Because I'm sure they've been, you know, in the works for a while, and there weren't really many leaks. There was one leak. Yes. Nice. Yeah. 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 That was it. That just. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a great question. I love talking about it. So uh, I think everybody, anybody that follows me knows I'm a crazy Springsteen fan. Maybe the biggest obsessed Springsteen fan in the world. Probably not, but I like to say I am. Um, <laughs> Up there, certainly. Top five. And definitely yeah, top five. Yeah. <laughs> definitely top five. So, in fact, that, that's him right there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the uniform process is it's crazy what you go through. It's a three-year process, uh, working with the league, working with Nike, working with the distributors, obviously doing your own creative and all those things. It's a long process. I think it could be shortened, but <laughs> it was a long process. But when we, it was right after the NFC champ or the NFC playoff game at Philly that we lost the year after the Super Bowl. It was that Monday and we were having a season debrief and we talked to Rich and Steve and said, hey, it's time. You know, uh, can we can we get permission to go? And it was in that day that they said, yep, let's go call the league and we'll figure it out. And so as we got started on it, Morgan Shaw Parker on my team led the the process. She's the chief marketing officer, and uh, and I said, well, we got to come up with a uh, got to come up with a code name. So uh, they were like, oh, you know, project this, project that. I was, like, <laughs> I was driving home, and a and a song came on East Street Radio. It's called Iceman. Never released. Um, it's only been performed live like three times. It's a real rare outtake. It didn't make it on the Darkness in the Edge of Town um, uh, soundtrack or uh, album. I love the song. Actually, in Charlotte in 2014, he opened the show in Charlotte. I was there. I think it's been played live three times, maybe four times since he wrote it in 1975. So I sent the team the video of him playing it. I said, this is called Iceman. And that's what it was called forever. And in, even in our own building, we didn't even use that word with most people. Um, there were about 12 of us that knew what the project was, the designers, McKay, Cannon, myself, Morgan, uh, coaches did, uh, Coach Quinn and Thomas. And, and we did a, we just did a really good job of keeping it tight. And then um, the, the night before we were well, – night before we were going to announce it, and it leaked. And uh, we found the source of the leak, and, <laughs> and uh, it didn't go that well for that person. But – the team at that moment worked all through the night to get it ready to go at 9 a.m. the next morning. And, uh, super proud moment. And um, 
There you go. There they are. Wow. Yeah. So the the, the culprit was caught. Uh, that I've always been curious about that. So. The, the culprit was identified. Yes. You always have. Right. There's always that one person that just can't help themselves. Like they have. To, <laughs> they have to put on for social media. I, I just, yeah. Well, the problem is, is when you do. Um, there's people way smarter than me that know how to track it. Right. And um, there's no, you're, you're never, and, and actually what's weird is the person sent it to someone out of state and said, post this. <laughs> so it wasn't even like it was that elaborate of like a scheme. Yeah. And the person that posted it wasn't even the guy that, or the person that uh, captured it. It was just somebody who was like, oh, my buddy said to do this. And uh, <laughs> so much. I mean, like, yeah. Three years worth of work. There. Yeah, it sucks. It's like the night before. Yeah. yeah, we were we were pretty disappointed, but we were also most of them don't ever last that long. So we we did a good job, and it was fine. And yeah, it was super <laughs> impressive. Uh, I remember like contemplating, guessing, like oh, where are the leaks, and there just never were any. No, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, we we uh, I'm proud of how how well we kept that one tight. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. You guys have any more questions for Brett here? Well, just back to the uniform thing, real quick. How different was it seeing something you worked on for, you know, you said three years? Like you see it up close and stuff, but then actually see it. I mean, I, I don't know if you had like simulations to kind of see what it would look like on the field. Obviously, no football was being played at the time, but like then to see it in action with real humans running around. How, how did that make you feel? Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, it's really cool. It's uh, um, the process is interesting, and I somebody one of these teams should document the whole thing and do it as a documentary because it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, you see it on paper, and you're like, "Yeah, I don't know," and you're like, "Well, that's really cool." And then Nike goes and they make the prototypes and they send it to you, and you're like, "Wow, that's ugly." Something you loved, or something you're like, "Like I've." I've put, posted this before. A lot of people know this. Is the schematic? I hated the gradient. I did not like it at all. <laughs> when they sent us the uniform, and Morgan had hired these models that looked like football players, they walked in the room. I was like, "That's cool." In person, it was just way cooler than it was on the on the paper. Mm -hmm. And the TV networks in the NFL. Another little top secret thing: we had to turn off the halo board, but. We, we put models on the field running around with it so that the TV, we could see what the TV looked, looked oh, like. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, the in-stadium cameras were shooting it. The, the network sent one camera. It was like, and you're, they're trying to do that to figure out, you know, glares off helmets and how do the numbers appear. And the networks have to approve it. It's one, one of the other pieces oh, wow. of it. Um, and uh, well, I don't, that's technically not right. They don't have to approve it. But if they say holy crap, that looks terrible, that won't work, <laughs> uh, then the league would not approve it. But uh, we passed every every milestone we hit. And um, last thing I'll say about uniforms, which is interesting, is you go into it, it's like anything else. It's, you, you can use the same thing I'm about to say with the draft. A third of the people are going to say it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> A third of the people are going to say that is the worst thing. These people are idiots. I don't know why they couldn't see that that is terrible. Yep. And the other third is like, yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> What's interesting is the data that came out almost instantly when we when we did the fan thing is the helmets psh, off the charts. Everybody loved it. The black, everybody loved it. 
the white road ones, which I love them. There was a there was a prototype that we did of the white road ones that they literally looked like stormtroopers. Mm. Cool, but there were a couple of league technicality things that made that one not work. Um, and and of course, people were like, ah, oh, I don't like the gradient or. People didn't like the black. They wanted the white pants only. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. But over the time, we kept measuring it over the year. The, the people who liked the gradient steadily went up. And then after we played in it, I guess, I don't know, we played Detroit or Detroit. I can't remember who played first. It went way better than I thought because they sat live on the field. And, uh, of course, they said, I love it a lot more, but I need a red helmet. Uh, <laughs> So always in the feedback. Always in the feedback. Yeah, it it suspiciously looks as if it they could have been designed with a possible you know red helmet in the mix. You know we can't confirm these these yeah, you know possibilities, I, but I'm not feeding your conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm definitely excited. You know for the potential combination that could occur if the league were to approve such a rule at some point on a future date that we don't know. But yeah, anything could happen. Anything could happen. It's it's all possible. We're just we're just talking here, but uh, yeah, guys. Uh, any anything else for Brett? I don't have anything. He's really been a gem tonight. Um, I appreciate you coming on here, taking time out of your busy schedule to join us knuckleheads and, and talk a little bit of football here. I, I, thank you for for coming on for us. Hey, I, I've I've enjoyed it. I'll come back, and you know what, knuckleheads or not. You guys are important to what we do. Um, you know, we appreciate it. And I'll tell you, Mr. Blank reads reads the stuff on your site. I don't know if he watches because I don't. I don't oh no! Nighttime. Oh, no. <laughs> don't put that pressure yeah, on me. <laughs> no, no, nobody reads more clips than Arthur. He's uh, he's a data guy. And uh, but really, on a serious note, you know, anybody that's helping our fans engage with the Falcons, we love it. We appreciate it. We, you know, we're big boys. We can take the criticism. I per personally oh, no. laugh my butt off half the time at some of the staff. Um, there's a few that I'm like, eh, that might be a little on the edge, but um, <laughs> I appreciate it. And our Matt team Chambers. Yeah, just keep doing what you do. Yeah. So what? yeah. Matt Chambers, you know, maybe. Uh, yeah, he, he, he likes to push it sometimes. Uh, you know, no. you know, that's part of it. It's, yeah, I'll leave you with this to say, and Arthur, Arthur Blank always says, hey, you know what, in the positions we're in, if we don't have a thick skin, we're not going to make it. So uh, just enjoy it. But he also says, hey, we want our fans engaging with us, and we don't live up to the expectation. We we deserve to hear it because we, we his whole thing is he wants a championship team on the field and in the community. And uh, we feel like we win the Super Bowl every year in the community. And we're going to keep going as hard as we can, try to get him and you, the fans, that trophy. So, um, again, just appreciate what you do. I really appreciate you having me on. I've enjoyed it. Happy to do it again if you guys, you know, if your ratings don't crash and you think it might be, <laughs> give me a call. Yeah, no, absolutely we will for sure. Um, and, yeah, it was we, – we try to be as fair as possible. But I think we know we're doing a good job when – 
you know, approximately half the fans say that we're way too nice and lenient, and the other half say that we're just being mean for no reason. So generally that means you're about right if you've got the two extremes going. Um, you talked about that in PR, you know, with the uniforms. One third's going to like it, one third's not going to like it. The other third, as long as they're okay with it, you know, we're doing we're doing good. But, uh, yeah, that's, right. that, that's great to hear. We, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, with obviously... And also just... Team, go ahead, yeah. Just us being fans, sometimes, you know, our hearts are in, you know, some of the more critical ones, it's like uh, our hearts are in it. Like if we're if we're passionate, we're writing about it sort of thing, where it's not like they're forcing us to write these stuff. It's like if, if it's in your mind, you know, it's coming on to the website, basically. And I, I just hope Arthur knows, like, you know, and I guess everybody, we're, we're not trying to, like, hurt feelings. If there's more critical stuff, it's just – that's what their thought is as a fan, but also we, you know, we are writers, so we try and be professional about it also. But also, you know, we do have more praising that, you know, sometimes isn't the most interesting articles to come out, but, you know, they're necessary. And then, you know, talking about what Arthur Blank does in the community, that's some of my, you know, favorite articles to do. And there's been a ton recently. So just grateful for you to come on and talk with us about everything, especially I could have you all night talking about uniform stuff. Oh, yeah. So I know the jazz are coming on soon. So I'll stop. <laughs> the game tonight, top two teams in the league. Yeah, so. that's going to be a good one. Uh, is, yeah. is, this, is this the year for the jazz? You know, you know what, Eric, I appreciate you asking that question again, like earlier. I want my team to ask me this during the day and nobody will. <laughs> I I finally arrived at this crazy point the other day. So my oldest name is Stockton and John Stockton will forever be my favorite athlete of all time. Uh, you know, just money. He was there when I grew up, I hosted their training camp and my first job at Southern Utah. I think this team is better than the Stockton and Malone teams. Reasons, for two reasons, way deeper. That Stockton Malone team, they were they were seven deep. This team, our second unit, will punish you, and uh, and we can shoot the three. We're never able to outside of Hornacek. You can never shoot it with consistency. And in this game, you've got that seven foot three center defensive player of the year down there at guarding the rim, right. and you stretch the floor. Right. They're just. Uh, they have the best record in the league, but when you look at the data, the real numbers, they're killing people. I mean, they're, they're just killing people. So I, you know, there's that LeBron James guy who's going to, you know, shuck off his cast and walk onto the court in the playoffs and be dominant. Yeah. I do not want them on our side of the bracket till the end, if, if that so happens. It'll be hard. It'll be tough. But I think this is the best jazz team okay. that I have in my lifetime. Pretty sure you probably want to see the Nuggets again, right? You, you, you guys, you guys hold them a, a playoff. Yeah, I don't love our matchup with them. I, I really don't. I would love to see the Nuggets and Lakers go seven and just beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> and you guys would, phones afterwards. So, so he's going for the Clippers then. <laughs> I would much rather have the Clippers or Portland or. Mm, wow. But yeah. I, I will say. That, the Jazz this year with the system and everything they're doing, they remind me a lot of that 61 Hawks team a few years ago. And, it, you know, I, I know it, it's the time of your life right now as a fan because it was the time of my life a few years ago with the Hawks. And I just want to say I hope uh, you guys yield better results than we did against LeBron James. Right? I hope so too. <laughs> It'll keep the 
I want to, the draft is going to dominate my life the next three weeks, but then I actually look forward to something this summer uh, with a deep, long playoff run. We'll see. You never know. It's sports. <laughs> yes. All right. We have one final audience question from George Costanza uh, with a $3 donation. He wants to know, this is a big, he says this is a big deal. It's the biggest question on his mind. Are you for pineapple on pizza or against it? Oh, this is critical. This is yeah. Um, I love pineapple on pizza. Love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> All right, we're ending this now. No, I'm <laughs> well, here's the deal. I, my number one fruit period is pineapple. I would have pineapple on you. I put it on spaghetti if they had it. <laughs> I love pineapple. So yes, I'm firmly pineapple on pizza. All right. That's good to know. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, well, Brett is a hot dog a sandwich. <laughs> a hot dog is indeed a sandwich. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes! All right. Oh, that's, that's you broke the alcoholic live tie. So <laughs> yes! that, at least we can move forward on that now after Finally. three long years. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, no, I will I'm, say I'm not, I'm not stopping my crusade. That's okay. That's okay. I, I don't blame you. No, I will say fresh cut pineapple is really, really good. Like if you just get stuff out of a can, it's, it does not compare. So if you think you don't like pineapple, like I like pineapple as a fruit. I'm just not the biggest fan on pizza, but fresh cut like sliced pineapple is awesome. Totally different than anything else. So that hot dog is a sandwich battle for years, man. <laughs> Eric sleeps well tonight. Yeah, he's got it. I will. I will. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, before we sign off, want to thank our guest this evening, Brett Jukes. He is at B Jukes on Twitter. Brett, anything else you'd like to let the people know about tonight? We just appreciate their fandom, and we know uh, there's a lot of ride or die Falcons fans out there, and I think uh, I think you should be really excited about the future. Um, and and we just appreciate the fandom. Rise up. Absolutely. Rise up, guys, for sure. Also with us tonight, we have Eric Robinson. He's at underscore Eric underscore Robinson on Twitter. Eric, anything that you're working on you'd like to plug? Uh, yes, I'm actually in the middle of cranking out another scouting report for Patrick Satan. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I did have one release yesterday for Hamza Nasruddin, as well as uh, a scouting report. Look, uh, stop by the alcoholic whenever you need. We're a one-stop shop, especially over the next few weeks with this draft coming up so yeah give us a look absolutely guys also with us tonight evan birchfield at the very easy to remember at evan birchfield uh evan first question when are you changing your handle to at director of guest personnel and then also do you have anything you'd like to let people know about um first question i have no idea second question um yeah uh not really just go to thefalcon.com i want to again plug brett's book he helped work on good company um it's I, he's not telling me to tell you this but like i've literally read it twice and i love it um if you're interested in blank's life at all you know read it it's been out a while so you can find it a lot of the places um bookstores i, I think books a million you know the big chains and stuff um just an excellent read overall and thanks brett for coming on um and you know the thing is uh, go to the read our stuff because we now know that Arthur Blank does. And if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for you. So thank yes. you. Yes.
just in case, just in case you guys didn't already go to thefalcoholic.com. Somehow you got to the show without doing that, but you have no excuse now. Uh, finally with us, Adnan Ikic at Say Which Way. Adnan, anything you're working on, you let, let the people know about it. Oh, uh, yeah, we're, we're finally going to kick off the greatest moments thing in a few days. Uh, I've been working with Evan about getting some graphics together. So, yeah, after like a month of me plugging it, it's finally going to happen. Absolutely, guys. Check that out for sure. So, guys, we'll be back next Wednesday with another show for you. We'll be back every week until the draft at least. Uh, I will have, I'm Kevin Knight. I call Kevin on Twitter. I will have a fresh mock draft for you tomorrow. Uh, it's another trade-down scenario, so if, you're in, if your team trade down, you can check that out. Uh, I'm going to have a film review on Free Agent Edition Eric Harris for Friday as well, so you can check that out too to see uh, what he can bring to the defense. Um, and just want to plug the Patreon, guys. Patreon.com slash Live. We did our March uh, Q&A yesterday. I know that's not March. Trust me, I know. But, you know, you guys get one a month, and I want to stick to it even if we're late. So uh, if you're interested in that, you can check that out. Please do like and subscribe to the show. Otherwise, guys, we will talk to you next week. Have a great night, and we will see you then. Thanks, folks.